Hello, and welcome to Are You Going to Eat Your Fat? This podcast is a resource dedicated to those struggling with eating disorders. If you are struggling with an eating disorder or know someone who is, maybe a brother, sister, daughter, wife, we want to be here to provide resources and offer hope. I am Dina Lewis, and I'm here with my husband, co-host, Brian Lewis. We are not doctors, but we do come with more than 20 years history in dealing with eating disorders. Whether you found us on purpose or by mistake, whatever the case, we hope by the end of this episode, you have learned something, or at least if you are struggling, you do not feel alone. Hi, and welcome to Are You Gonna Eat Your Fat? My name is Dina, and welcome to this episode. You know, I think I've talked about like a day in the life of me and my eating disorder. To be honest, there's certain things I hadn't shared. One from embarrassment, one from shame. I want to, in this podcast, come out and you guys can really feel that I'm giving you my full story and sharing with you the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I thought about it for a while and I thought I really should share some of the things I regret. I want to share a little bit like what a worse day would be for me. And then I was also looking through lots of articles and different things like that. And I'm a big Friends fan and I love Matthew Perry. I've always loved Matthew Perry. And it really hit me hard when he died. I kind of wondered, it wasn't just because, you know, he's young and we're close to the same age and stuff like that. And I was really kind of struggling with it. And then Brian said to me, well, you know, you guys have the same story pretty much. And I think because... It looked like he was really getting better, and then for him to die when it felt like things were coming together for him, I think it's almost like a reality check in a way of knowing how close I came to that point and how lucky I am. I was listening to something he was talking about. He was talking about legislation for something, and he entered a meeting, and he said, Hello, my name is Matthew Perry, and I'm an addict. And nobody responded back. And he goes, Let me do that again. Hello, my name is Matthew Perry. I'm an addict. And everybody just started clapping. I don't think they got it because when I would go to an OA meeting or an AA meeting, one of the first things you do is you're like, hi, my name is Dina. I'm an addict or an eating disorder recovery. And of course, when I'm at an AA meeting, I say I'm a recovering addict. When I'm at an OA meeting, I will say I'm a recovering eating disorder addict. Is that fair to say that I'm an addict? And a lot of people think, well, What I've heard in the past, not that I'm an alcoholic, but that when you're an alcoholic, all you can think about is that drink. And you take that first drink, and that's up to you. And then you just, from that point on, you just can't stop. Well, if I replace the word alcohol with food, my story is really the same because as soon as I would think about food, I couldn't stop thinking about it, about what I was going to eat, what I wasn't going to eat, how many calories were in the food. The obsession would take over. And so there is an addiction there and an obsession as well. And so I haven't heard those words in a really long time. And it just, one time we were living in California and I had been asked to speak at this meeting place for some young people. And so I logically thought it was just going to be a bunch of young girls or women in the meeting. And when I got there, it ended up being a bunch of young men. And I remember sitting down and I thought, okay, I can do this. When I started my story and sharing my story, I remember looking around the room and a lot of these young men were laughing and they just couldn't imagine like not eating and what the big deal was or restricting at all. 
they couldn't fathom it. And during my story, I was thinking, I just need to get up and get out of here because this is not having any effect on anyone here. But I'm going to keep going and I'm going to share my story and let's just see what happens. And so I think I ended up kind of calling them out on it because it got to the point where it was like, okay, why don't you guys just quiet down and listen and see if any of this speaks any truth to you? Anyway, so I shared my story. And then afterwards, there was a couple of the young men that came up to me and apologized. And they had said, I'm sorry for laughing, but I just can't imagine what you went through. And now that I think about it, it's not that crazy at all. I can see where that could happen to many people. And they appreciated me coming and sharing. And I appreciated them as much too. And I guess part of that is like, there is no dictionary definition of what somebody with an eating disorder is going to look like, what color they're going to be, what ethnicity they're going to be, religion they're going to be. It's just, it doesn't discriminate. And so the reason I shared that story is because a lot of people will say like, well, if you could have maybe shared with us what you were going through at the time, maybe we could have helped you. And I think maybe some of you have shared what you were going through. And then somebody's responded back to you with, is that all? Or so what? And at that point in that meeting with those young men, I could have done two things. I could have gotten up and left because I didn't think there was any purpose in it. Or I could have stood my ground and just shared it and continued with knowing that I was sharing something important that needed to be heard. And obviously I did the latter. But I can see where it's really bothering when you do share your feelings because people don't understand they kind of put it off and go, well, that's no big deal. And then you shut down and you go back into your disease. And part of this podcast and why I put it together was to give people hope, not just addicts, but people that are being supporters of the addict that are helping them so that it is okay to speak out. It is okay to share your feelings. I mean, it's really difficult when somebody kind of listens to you and they look at your issues and they think, well, that's not serious or relevant to me. So I don't know, just eat, you know? So like I said, the day could have gone two ways. I could have fallen into old behaviors and shut down and plunged further into my disease, or I could have turned this into an educating moment, and that's what I did. So like I said, I wanted to share a little bit about my worst day. There were a lot of them <laughs> towards the end. But initially, I would wake up probably around 4 or 4.30 in the morning. Brian would still be asleep, and I would do some type of workout. Then I would usually eat breakfast, but at that point, I was getting kind of obsessive about, like, you know, that stuff called Pam, the spray. If I sprayed it in a pan and it says it has no calories or no fat, does it really? And I was starting to get kind of cuckoo about that. So I started cooking a lot in paper plates. And I would eat something, but I would like, for example, if it was some type of fruit, I would eat it down to the rind because I would be so hungry that I would almost eat it down to the core of it, that it looked like there was nothing there to keep it together. Then I would usually go for a walk, whatever kind of weather it was, I'd be out there. It didn't matter. I would, I'd always be cold. I'd be freezing all the time. The heater would have to be on. I was usually in layers of clothes. When I did have to kind of go to work or do anything, I'd always have like a portable heater under my desk. And so, yeah, so that would be kind of where I would go. There would be a lot of looking in the mirror and observing myself and tearing apart my body. Well, look at this and look at that. And it's a little too big here. It's a little too curvy here. And I don't want this there. And that happened for a long time. A lot of weighing on the scale and on and off, on and off, on and off. It was obviously much easier to do when Brian was gone at work, but then there was a lot of it going on when he was still home. 
Um, and I had to cover a lot of that up. But I want to talk about a couple of the things that I did that I'm not happy about. So I had this feeling or these thoughts in my head that when I would make Brian's lunch for work, I would pack it so full of food, I would overfeed him. Now, I'm sure he never ate all of it that was in there, but the idea behind it was that he couldn't be skinnier than me. And the logical person would say, well, nobody is, Dina, but that was something I had to deal with. So at the same time, sometimes when I would go over to my mom's house and I would do cooking, I'm embarrassed by it, but I would be making something and I would mix in more like oil into her food so that you couldn't see it, but it's mixed in there. It would, you know, if it was like the rice or something like that, and it would absorb into the meal and she couldn't see it where she was getting heavier and I couldn't have her thinner than me. Now that's something I'm really ashamed of. It's nothing that I do now. Um, I don't want people to think like, oh, come over to your house. I'm never going to have you feed me or cook anything for me. But that was something I did. And it was really just between, it seems like I did it just between Brian and my mom. And I remember when we got married, my mom saying like she just couldn't lose weight. And it probably had something to do with me kind of adding butter or putting oil in more of her foods. Or And when I'm talking oil, I'm talking about like cooking oils, like olive oil or, you know, vegetable oil and those kind of things. There were other times that I took food from her house because, you know, we were young and married and didn't have a lot of money. And so I would go over and take food from her house and bring it to my house. Even if I had to do some grocery shopping for her, I'd have her, without her knowing, purchasing some of my food for my items. I don't know about this, why this is what it is. And I don't know if I ever got the courage to tell these people what I had done. Um, So... I should make amends to them, but I don't know where they are at this point. But when we were in our apartment, we were on the second floor and we had some neighbors right across the hall from us. And there were times where they got a newspaper. I don't know that we did or we didn't. And I would somehow sneak out our door, go across, bend it down, and I would pull the coupon section out of their newspaper and take it home and keep it. I don't know why that. I, I mean, I don't know where my brain was at at the time or what I was doing, but it was something I wanted and something I thought I needed. And I felt like that was the only way I could get it rather than going and buying my own newspaper. I'm very ashamed of what I did. And I don't know what really took me to that level and why, other than I wasn't thinking in the right way. Those are some of the things I did on my worst days to hurt other people. You know, I'm sure there's more that I haven't thought of. And there's sometimes, you know, like when I think I've shared some things with you, I never thought I would forget a moment of my eating disorder because it was a part of me. It was my life. It was what I loved. I thought it made me who I was. And I never thought I would forget it. But as time has gone on, I have forgotten some of my daily routine of what I did then. And I mean, it's a good thing, but There are times when I'm speaking or I hear someone else speaking or I look up something and I'm doing some research and memories kind of flood back in. And that's why I wanted to share some of these things with you about my worst day and my eating disorder. Well, and I guess there was always, and I think I've discussed this, but there were times I wasn't participating in treatment, especially in my first day. I was able to throw food away. I was able to sneak out of the building, the medical center, and get out and come back without them knowing. In the second facility, I remember that 
you had to get to a, a healthier weight to earn back and get go exercise again. So for a long time, I would have to go to the gym and I would sit there while other people exercised. And then they'd give it to you in these small increments, like 10 minutes and then 15 minutes. But part of that 15 minutes was like five minutes for a warm up, and you walk for five minutes at, I don't know, whatever pace, and then five minute cool down. So it wasn't like that. And I remember we got like certain walks out in the community for a period of time once we got better. And there was a time that I went above and beyond the amount I should have been out there walking and they knew it. And I tried to deny it. And they're like, you know, don't do it again. And I did eventually come to them and say, I did. I'm sorry. It won't happen again. But they were very good and they stuck to what they said. And there was always some type of, there was a warning, but then there was also like, if you don't do what we say, you're going to have to deal with this afterwards. Before I end this episode, I came across something that I was just so shocked by, and I wanted to share it with you guys. I'm hoping it doesn't trigger anybody, but I was reading an article and I heard about there's a woman in Canada that's 47 years old, and she's been dealing with an eating disorder for decades. And she is now saying that she's been to two treatment centers, numerous hospitals, and she just doesn't want to gain any weight. She doesn't want to get better. She's tired. She's exhausted. She said she can't even, like, do the laundry. If she wakes up by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, she needs to go to bed. She's tired. If she goes to the grocery store and she gets groceries, she has to stop periodically as she brings the groceries home to take a break because she doesn't have any energy. And I do remember having those feelings. But what hit me hardest was in Canada, they've assisted in somewhat terminally illness and allowing you to die, I guess, with a lot of dignity. And if you're not going to get any better with cancer, Alzheimer's, those kinds of things, and it's terminal, I understand that. You want to die with dignity. But for this woman, they're saying they've changed up some of the legislation. And in March of 2024, they're saying that people with mental health can also be assisted in getting assistance in dying. And it's called MAID, M-A-I-D, which is Medical Assistance in Dying. But what gets me is that an eating disorder doesn't have to be a terminal illness. I mean, it's really up to you if you want to get better. It's hard work. But I encourage you that if you are going to go to treatment, you got to stay there beyond the period of detoxing to the point where you can start thinking more rationally and making better decisions. Obviously, when she's at the point where she's not feeling well and she's exhausted, of course she doesn't want to go on. But I don't agree with people with mental illness making it a terminal illness because it doesn't have to be. So I guess with this made thing, that they have, if you're on the maid and you're waiting for assistance in dying, then you have no access to any type of social services. So no therapy, nothing for depression, nothing for social services of talking to anybody to help you through that. Well, of course you're not going to be doing well because this can be helped if you have those social services there to help you. And I totally disagree with this idea of people with mental illness, or I'll just say eating disorders, which is a mental illness. At some point, we have to look at it and say, mental illness is not criminal. It's mental illness. It's a disease. And these people need help. They're doing things that maybe they shouldn't be doing because they need it to feed their addiction. And I think Matthew Perry even was sharing with that. There are certain court-assisted facilities that can help with people because these people have stolen things. And yes, is that wrong? Absolutely. But they're doing it to feed their habit. They wouldn't have done it for any other reason than feeding their habit. If they weren't addicts, they wouldn't be stealing. So 
I wanted to share that with you. I hope that's informative. I just think I feel bad for this woman. I wish I could reach out to her and say there is a chance of hope. And I think she says she wants to die. But honestly, being that I'm a recovering anorexic, if I really wanted to die, I could have done something about ending my life at any time. And I think by her reaching out and saying something like this, I really don't think she wants to. I think in the state she's in, she does. But I just want to give everybody hope. I appreciate all my listeners or our listeners. I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast and I enjoy doing it so very much. And I just want to remind you guys that we do have a Facebook page. It's Are You Going to Eat Your Fat? If you'd like to come on and join. Also, we have our website up, areyougonnaeatyourfat.com. We are working on some other things. We're trying to amendment and add a little things to it for like a community section. We have some other things that are coming up. I just have to find the time to get them done. I just appreciate you guys also very much, and I wish you all the very best. And if you have any questions, please reach out to Brian and I. We would love, love to talk to you, and then we encourage you to do that because we want to give service and bring hope to families out there. I hope you guys have a very great week, and I'm going to end it with serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, so work it. You are worth it. See you guys. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for joining us. If you found this podcast useful or we have given you hope and you want to reach out and contribute, feel free to do so at eatthatfat at gmail.com. That's eatthatfat at gmail.com. Our pledge to you is that every penny that we get in contributions goes to production costs and keeping the lights on. We will not pay ourselves, but anything above and beyond production costs will go to benefit organizations that specialize in eating disorders. Please reach out to us if you need resources or you just need to talk. You are not alone and there are people who care. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, so work it. You are worth it.